It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Today, Bengals fans, we have a special surprise for you, and I am not going to tell you what it is unless you read the title of the podcast, in which case you know what it is, but we have a guest that's coming on for segments two and the three, two and three of the show, two and the three, James, of the show that uh, I'm very excited for, and I think you are really going to like it. But before we get there, we're going to talk about Kurt Warner's expectations or criteria for a successful year one season for Joe Burrow? This is a question, James, that we have been asked a few times, and we can just go on the record, get it out there outside of the mailbag episode, let you define your criteria for a successful first season. I'll give mine, and then we'll get to our special guest for parts two and three. But first, let's talk about what Kurt Warner had to say and what we have to say about Joe Burrow's criteria for success in his rookie year. This episode is brought to you, of course, by Built Bar. Go check out BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. And for this week only, from May 25th to May 31st, you can get $5 off every box of Built Bars you buy in addition to your $10 off promo code. James, let's talk about our criteria for a successful first season for Joe Burrow because Kurt Warners has nothing to do with stats and that's also true for me. Where does it fall for you? Record doesn't matter. For me, stats matter to a degree. I don't want Joe Burrow to have 25 picks and 20 touchdowns. But overall, I, I'm, I believe that Joe Burrow's success and having a successful rookie year isn't entirely tied to stats. And so what, what I mean by that is as long as we're feeling good, about the the direction of the organization, the direction of the offense, where they're at, what they're building uh, in January of 2021, then I I think that it's a a successful rookie campaign. To me, what Joe Burrow does this year, I hope is extremely similar to what Carson Palmer did his first year of starting in 2004. Got off to a rocky start, but by the end, and it started on the road against the Ravens, a huge fourth quarter comeback – by the end of the year, you felt like Carson Palmer and the Bengals were pushing forward and they were going to build something uh, of note, right? And so I think that's where my expectations are for Burrow. Can he be ascending by the end of the year? And can the, the team, the organization, and the fan base be confident that they can build on what he does as a rookie and really put the pieces together to have a successful and potentially playoff-bound 2021 season? And I think that that's fair. I think that that's a big part of his first year. A big part of his selection by the Cincinnati Bengals is how good 
can you be? How much can you reinvigorate this fan base? Can we get everyone thinking that this thing is going in the right direction? In fact, Jay Morrison recently ran a poll on The Athletic asking Bengals fans a variety of questions. One of them was, do you feel like this team is going in the right direction? 75% of people that answered the question, how confident are you the Bengals are moving in the right direction in the next five years, gave it either a four or five out of five. That's a lot of confidence driven by Joe Burrow. So whether that sustains to the way that we're feeling after the season is a big question for the Bengals, I think, in terms of their evaluation of, did we get the right guy here? Are we still going in the right direction? Kurt Warner says, I don't care about stats. And he agrees with me on that. I also don't care about stats. Kurt Warner says, I want to see consistency. I want to see good decision-making. And for me, I'm going to fall back on one of Zach Taylor's mantras here. And that is that I don't want to see Joe Burrow repeating mistakes. I would like to see him do what we saw from a lot of players, really, that Zach Taylor had praise for, which is they only make that mistake once and then you're not repeating it. We've heard this about Joe Burrow, too, when many evaluators of his college game said you don't see him make the same mistake twice. You see him learn from those mistakes, and you want to see that continue in the NFL because Joe Burrow, for all of his accolades, for all of his strengths, for all of the hype around him as a prospect, is a rookie quarterback in the NFL. He will make mistakes. His ability to learn from those mistakes is a big criteria to me for his rookie year. The other thing that I've talked about a lot, James, is I want to see those traits that made him special at LSU show up and play in the NFL. I want to see that accuracy. I want to see the ability to manage the pocket, the pocket awareness, the ability to make plays off script. I want to see all of that translate to the NFL. And I have one other thing too, and that's the coaching staff's ability to adapt to Joe Burrow. That's not an expectation for Joe Burrow, but that's an expectation and a criteria for the organization to have a successful season with Joe Burrow's first year. Absolutely. I, I think that that's a, an extremely important piece of this, right? Because we've seen all these rookie quarterbacks thrive from Lamar Jackson, where they literally made an offense around him and have com committed to building a team that sets him up for success to Josh Allen in Buffalo Baker Mayfield with the Browns, especially his rookie year, these young quarterbacks come in and are having success right away. And that, as much as it is to their talent, is because coaching staffs are putting them in a position to succeed early on. And I think that's what Zach Taylor has to do and Brian Callahan has to do. And the pressure is on them to get it done in Burroughs' rookie season. So it truly is a two-way street. Right. There are a lot of expectations on the Bengals organization. There are criteria for the Bengals organization to have a good rookie season with Joe Burrow. And then there's also individual stuff that we're looking for from Joe Burrow. We could talk about Joe Burrow forever, right? We don't have anything else going on right now. But what we do have is Ken Anderson. Ken Anderson is our special guest that I've been teasing for like three weeks now. And we had a really fun conversation with him. That's coming up next. You think Ken Anderson eats Built Bars, James? I think Ken Anderson eats Built Bars. I forgot to ask him when he was on the show. But the Lockdown Bengals podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. You can get $10 off right now on their website using promo code LOCKEDON. And for this week only, you save $5 on every box of Built Bars you order. James, what flavor of Built Bar did you eat today? Vanilla chocolate cream 
only 110 calories, 15 grams of protein, only four grams of sugar. Look, it was a holiday weekend. We probably drank a little bit too much, ate a little bit too much. You know what fits in the macros? Built Bars. Get back into your routine with Built Bars. Like Jake said, promo code Locked On saves you $10 off your first box at BuiltBar.com. I wish you guys could see James because as he's going through this, he's so emphatic. He's holding up to the camera the Built Bar, the wrapper <laughs> of the Built Bar that he's eaten today. Oh, it's it's priceless. Without further ado, coming up next, Ken Anderson. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today, Bengals fans, the guest that I teased a while ago is with us. And that I've kept under wraps for weeks now since James came back to the podcast just after the draft, Ken Anderson, welcome to the Locked On Bengals podcast. How are you doing tonight? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. We are thrilled to have you here. You have some really cool photos behind you. We're on a Zoom meeting with Ken. We can see the the Bengal tiger beside Ken in his uniform with his helmet. A picture that everybody's seen. That's like the iconic Ken Anderson photo. You said before we started recording that you've been doing a lot more interviews since you got on social media. How's that been? How are you handling that? Well, no, it, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the big thing is, uh, you know, people, I guess, have access to me now uh, because of Twitter, which has been a lot of fun. Um, but no, just to get a chance to, to talk with people. I did uh, CBS Sports Network radio, uh, you know, a week ago and, you know, ESPN radio and Dayton, Ohio, and, and some other things. So just connecting with, uh, with people that remember me has been a lot of fun. Ken, how do you think that that's kind of intertwined with the excitement around the Bengals? You know, you, you get on social media. Uh, I, I think, I hope you're verified by now. If not, you should be verified on Twitter. It's crazy that you're not, but uh, you're doing these national interviews and, and things like that. How does that coincide, you think, with, with the drafting of Joe Burrow and the excitement around the team currently? Well, I, I think there's a direct correlation to that. And uh, it was it was kind of fun because, you know, I've never met Joe before. Andy Dalton and I were, were very close. He and I have worked on some charitable uh, projects together. And, you know, through the whole thing, uh, he and I have, have texted back and forth. And, and I've always been a big Andy Dalton fan. But when they drafted Joe, I, you know, I didn't know him. And I asked uh, uh, Jeff Hobson with the Bengals website, I said, I'd like to welcome him to Cincinnati, um, you know, can you give me his phone number? He said, let me check. And the, the next day he sent it to me. So I've, I've had a, test, a chance to text Joe and, and welcome him to Cincinnati. And I think he'll really enjoy it there. You were a quarterback's coach in the league, obviously. And when people have asked you about Joe Burrow previously, you said you haven't gotten into watching a lot of his LSU tape. Have you had a chance to do any of that since he's now officially a Bengal? Well, no, I really don't have access to it. But, you know, I, I, I tell people that, you know, you, you see a lot, uh, obviously a lot of his games were on television and I watched those. You see a lot of highlights. And I think the thing, several things that impressed me, he never had a bad game. 
you know, he was playing, you know, arguably the toughest schedule uh, in college football last year and never had a bad game. So I like that consistency part of it. And then I, I think the other thing is, is sometimes it's hard to evaluate quarterbacks because in the college game, seem, things seem so wide open all the time. And, you know, my God, I, I wish I had guys that open. But, you know, you could see him making NFL throws where he's on the move and there's tight coverage and he throws a high back shoulder throw. Or he'll throw a low inside throw. And so I really liked, uh, you know, the accuracy that he showed. And, and uh, you know, as Paul Brown would say, uh, it didn't appear if the game was too big for him. You know, the, the lights got bright and he didn't shy away. Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the the most surprising or impressive things about Joe is it seemed like the bigger the game, the more pressure throughout that season, 8-0, 9-0. They go into Tuscaloosa against Alabama, Clemson in the national title game. It, he continued to rise to the occasion. It could be a, a little different in the NFL, but it, it seems like to me the the pressure that he dealt with at, at LSU is probably just as great as it, as it was or, or can get in the NFL. I mean, you're talking about 100,000 fans potentially in attendance. Is there – a transition there, you think, from a pressure standpoint that I'll have to deal with? I don't know if it's a pressure standpoint. I, I think it's just getting a feel for the game. You know, all of a sudden there's no 20-hour week that you have uh, in college. It's, uh, it's a full-time job in the NFL, and a quarterback's day starts early. It goes late. It's getting, you know, used to that. It's having more practice time. It's playing more games. But, you know, this kid has won at every level you know, from, from peewee through high school, through college. And I'm sure he's going to be successful in Cincinnati. And, you know, the, the other thing I really like is he seems like he's really a grounded person. And when you watch his Heisman Trophy induction speech and he brings up, uh, you know, the city of Athens, Athens County, and, and those that are going hungry. And I think he realized he has a platform to make a difference when they can raise uh, because of that, you know, a half a million dollars for the food banks in Athens County, uh, he realizes he has a platform and he takes that seriously. And so I, I think, you know, here's, a, you know, an Ohio kid coming to the Bengals, uh, I think is a perfect match. You talk about his platform, and I, I know one of the reasons that you got active on social media was because of your foundation. So I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing in the city of Cincinnati. I know you're doing the happy hours. What are the major initiatives that you're working on right now? Well, you know, uh, my foundation, uh, you know, my wife and I started, I think in in 2014, we have a, a nephew that's severely autistic and we were concerned mainly about his living arrangements as he grew older. And uh, so we started a foundation, the Ken Anderson Foundation. And then, you know, a a few years ago, uh, I got a call from the, you know, we wanted to build a community. And I got a call from the mayor of Cincinnati and he said, hey, Kenny, you need to talk to this group. They're trying to do the same thing that you're doing. And it happened to be a group called Lighthouse Landing. Uh, And they were basically a group of Down syndrome parents. And there was a lot of synergy. And so we, we merged together. And as we say, we're trying to create live, work, and engage opportunities for adults with developmental disabilities. Um, before the, the, the COVID-19 hit, we had over 20 engaged programs a month that serviced over, oh, over 220 adults, getting them out in the community uh, for social programs uh, in the evenings. 
It might be going to a baseball game. Uh, it might be going to the mall. It might be going to a video store to, to play games. A lot of our uh, programs were going to other nonprofits and volunteering, but they would go out in small groups and have a chance to interact you know, in the community. Um, from a work standpoint, that we have an aquaponics venture up and running where we're growing you know, uh, lettuce, basically, uh, indoors in water that employs about eight adults. And, you know, it's real jobs with real wages. And that's been a, a challenge now. Uh, a lot of the restaurants close, although they're starting to open up, but we've been selling that curbside and doing very well with it. You know, and, and then, you know, with our engaged programs, when everybody is, is sheltering in place and it's tough to get out, we were doing some virtual happy hours where, you know, I would kind of do a, a Zoom thing and and I had some great guests, uh, Nick Lachey from 98 Degrees and Jay DeMarcus uh, from Rascal Flats were on our first show. And, and then our, our next one was the, the night before the draft. And so I had Dave Lapham, my old roommate, who's the analyst for the Bengals. And, you know, everybody in Cincinnati wanted Zach Taylor, the head coach. And we had him first, you know, on our happy hour. Uh, the next week, uh, uh, NBA Hall of Famer Dan Issel and I grew up together in Batavia, Illinois. He was on along with Doug Flynn, who's a good friend of mine, former Reds and Mets player, and I think he was with the Phillies for a while, too. Uh, and then our last one was a virtual virtual dance party, and where we had a lot of our uh, adults, uh, you know, they're in there listening to the music and dancing, and that was one of the most inspirational things that, you know, uh, my wife and I, our nephew, Drew, was at his home, and, and he was into it to see him dance, and, you know, I, I started crying on the air just to see how engaged he was in that. So it's a, it's a worthwhile foundation. In fact, we, we kind of did it uh, for four straight weeks and we raised over $11,000 on some of our raffle uh, tickets where, you know, uh, a couple of people are going to go with me up to, to Dayton, Ohio to play golf and have lunch for a day. And we were uh, going to have a VIP backstage experience to the Rascal Flats concert in Cincinnati in August. Uh, that tour has been canceled now. And so instead, I'm going to take those four people out to dinner at the precinct, uh, a great steakhouse in Cincinnati. So we'll have a great time there. And, and I had so much fun doing it. Uh, I, I think we're going to start in June. I'm going to do it uh, a couple times a month. I had you know so much fun having these guys on. And you know I've been corresponding with Archie Manning. And I think, boy, he'd be a great guest. And you know I mean, I got I so many people I, I kind of like to, to talk to. Jim Hart. Uh, he and I have been kind of reconnecting a great quarterback for the St. Louis, St. Louis Cardinals uh, back in the day. So uh, a lot of friends I'd like to rely on. So I think we're going to go ahead and start those back up again here in a couple of weeks. Ken, I, I, my takeaway from uh, at least towards the end of what you said there is when you look at where the world is today in this pandemic, people are talking, maybe not in person more, but they're trying to connect virtually like we are on Zoom and uh, they're seeing each other in a different way, but they're they're still socializing and getting together. Have you noticed that? Have you been able to connect with people that you hadn't talked to in a while during this quarantine? Is and is that kind of a a positive? Uh, of well, no, this no question. And in fact, you know, uh, Archie Manning and I came into the league the same year in 1971. He was the second pick in the draft, and I was a, a third rounder. And you know, his son Peyton. Uh, you know, I've known him since he was a toddler. He and Eli and. You know, my son is the same age as, as Peyton, and we've been at golf outings together. And, you know, and all of a sudden I hadn't talked to, to Archie in a while, and, and I was worried about what was happening down in New Orleans. And so I shot him a text just to make sure that he's doing okay. So all of a sudden now we're 
we're kind of texting back on a, on a regular basis. And I was, uh, you know, kind of going through some of my NFL alumni stuff. And I saw a podcast with Jim Hart and realized just Jim and I were, were real close, uh, you know, back when we played and, and uh, when we first retired and they used to go down and, and he and Sonny Jurgensen had a great celebrity golf tournament down in Naples. And, you know, I would go down every year. We kind of reconnect with that. And then all of a sudden I started my foundation. We, uh, we had a fundraiser. It always fell right at the same time of his golf tournament. So I hadn't been down for a while. And so I listened to Jim on the podcast and, and gave him a call. And he says, well, isn't this a call from out of the blue? And, uh, but have a chance to, to catch up uh, with him. And so that, that's happening a, a lot. And, you know, certainly with my foundation and uh, the fundraisers that we have, my teammates in Cincinnati have been so supportive. So it's always been great to go back and, and get together with those guys on a regular basis as well. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, talking about coming back to Cincinnati, do you get to a lot of the home games? Are you still around the organization? Or are you, you're you in South Carolina, I, in Hilton, I think, right? Hilton, yeah. South Carolina, yeah. No, we get back to, I want to say, three or four games a year that, uh, you know, we always have, a, I have a Legends dinner after one of the home games and you know, where we bring, uh, you know, some guys in and, and we get together after the game and tell, tell stories and, and sell tickets, which has been a, a real uh, fun fundraiser for us. And we have a, a stadium walk uh, that we do and uh, different things. So, you know, I, you know, we're back in town, uh, you know, between the foundation and six grandkids in Cincinnati, we get back there on a regular basis. And so hopefully we're going to be able to have uh, fans in the stands come September and get to a few games. You mentioned Dave Lapham earlier, and obviously you and Dave go way back. I think Bengals fans look at, at Lapham and, and love hearing him tell stories. But I want to ask you, do you have a good story or your, your best Dave Lapham story that he might not want everybody to know? Um, the best ones I really can't tell. Um, <laughs> I thought that no, might be the case. No, that, that's always the case when you have guys that are, you know, all these years we're, we're still best friends, but you know, I, I, I just, you know, one time I had got hit in the face and I'm, I'm lying there on the, on the ground and I'm semi-conscious and he's leaning over me. He says, all you're saying is I lost my teeth. I lost my teeth. Um, so he's, he knows more about me and I know more about him and we'll just kind of let that go with that. Fair enough. Going back to those playing days, are there any guys on those teams you were on that you think are, we're young guys, obviously. James and I both, uh, 20s, 30s for me. Who are some of these guys that you played with that you want to just make sure younger fans know about? Well, I think, you know, the first two that, that come to mind are, are number one, Isaac Curtis. Um, Isaac came in, in 1973. He was our number one draft choice, a wide receiver from San Diego State. And people don't remember that, that he had the impact on the league, the league when he came in that Jerry Rice had when he came to the league in, in about what, 1980 or 81. 
but the league was so different in those days. You didn't throw the ball as much, but Isaac would have, you know, 12 touchdowns a game and, and people don't, you know, sometimes they forget that he was a world-class sprinter, but unlike some of those guys that try to play in the, the NFL, he wasn't a world-class sprinter that tried to play football. He was a football player that had world-class speed. And in fact, they wanted him to try out for the Olympic relay team. And he chose football over that. And, uh, he, uh, he was tremendously fast, but he was a great route runner with great hands and doesn't get the respect that he deserves. I think the other one I would be Kenny Riley. You know, played 15 years in the league and, you know, Jason, he's up there in total interceptions for a career and started as a, he was a quarterback at, at Florida A&M and converted to a defensive back when he got to the Bengals and had a, an illustrious career and certainly deserves. And, and we had another great corner, cornerback on the other side of Kenny, Lamar Parrish, uh, who's also a great punt returner. So I, I think, uh, you know, some of those guys, and, you know, I always say, you know, Bob Trumpy uh, was my tight end in the beginning. He says he's in the Hall of Fame, but in the broadcaster's wing. But he was, uh, I always tell people, he was Gronkowski before Gronkowski. He was that 6'5 tight end that you could split out and run wide receiver routes, but he could block the end of the line of scrimmage and was a, a tremendous weapon for us. And I, I think the the average Bengals fan, when they, they look at the Hall of Fame and, and they think about that and they think about Bengals history, that, that they think that the organization in general doesn't get enough respect historically. And, and you come to mind and, and obviously Ken Riley and others. Do, do you feel like that's the case? Is that is that something that, that you agree with? Oh, I'm not so sure about that. I, I think maybe we have the, the stigma now that it hasn't been a successful organization. And if you go back to the 70s and 80s, I think our teams were as, as good as any in the National Football League. Uh, unfortunately, in the 70s, we had uh, some team called the Pittsburgh Steelers in our division that happened to have one of the great teams of all time. But uh, if you look at that extended period of time that the Bengals had by far the best record of the Steelers of uh, you know, of any team in the National Football League. I mean, it, was, it wasn't close. We beat them more than any team uh, in, in the National Football League. So, you know, um, you know, I, I don't think it's an organizational thing. Uh, I, I think sometimes as time goes by, it's uh, when you look at my statistics as compared to the quarterbacks of today, and, you know, they're not uh, nearly as comparable. But uh, it was a situation where, you know, in the 70s, you only throw, threw the football 20 times a game. Offensive linemen had to keep their hands within the framework of their body. They couldn't extend their arms. So you couldn't pass protect. So, you know, you couldn't ask those tackles to, 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 to block too many times. So you only threw it, uh, you know, like, say, 18, 20 times a game. And, you know, back in the 70s, if you threw for 2,200 yards, you probably led the league in passing. If you threw for 18 touchdown passes, you, you probably led the league in touchdown passes. You know, completion percentage, if you were 50%, that was good. If your touchdown to interception ratio was one-to-one, it was probably pretty good. And, you know, nowadays you're talking, you know, 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns and four-to-one touchdown interception ratio. And you're talking about 65% completion percentage. And, you know, that's one thing that I'm most proud of is, you know, that my first quarterback coach was Bill Walsh. And, uh, you know, the West Coast offense, although it's called the West Coast offense, started in Cincinnati. Uh, and we ran it pretty effectively for my first five years in the league before he left. 
Yeah, I mean, if you go back and look at the era-adjusted numbers, which is what you have to do for quarterbacks that played before the league changed, you compare the same years. I don't know if you've seen this Football Outsiders article. It's pretty old now. I think it was 2006. They compared your numbers to Joe Montana's numbers from 1979 to 1983. Obviously, Joe came into the league a little bit after you, but you're running very similar, if not the same, offense. And the numbers are essentially identical. He's got you beat by a half a percent on completion percentage. You've got him beat by two-tenths of a yard in yards per attempt. Everything very close across the board. The big difference, I guess, to, to Hall of Fame voters, I assume, is is the postseason stuff where you, you got right there. And, and what, how, I mean, that's got to be something that's a little bit difficult because you know, I'm sure you've seen, if you go back and look at the error-adjusted stuff, you're up there with the greats. You're easily a top 15 quarterback of all time. Well, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, but I'm, I'm very content and very satisfied with the career I had. You know, when you come from uh, a little farm town in Illinois, Batavia, Illinois, population of 10,000, and you go to a Division three school in Rock Island, Illinois, Augustana College, and you come to the National Football League, and you can play 16 seasons with one team, and and, you know, make them relevant in the National Football League, take them to a Super Bowl. I take a lot of pride in that. And, you know, you're talking about Joe Montana and I being very similar. When, when Bill left, uh, Walsh left after the 85 or after the 75 season, he took the cutups from Cincinnati with him. And the first quarterback he trained with those was Dan Fouts in San Diego. And then he went to, to, uh, Stanford, and that's how he trained his quarterbacks. When he got to San Francisco, he showed Joe Montana's the cutups of me running his West Coast offense. So, so Joe and and, and Steve Young uh, learned from that. So, I'm going to take some credit for their success as well. Ken, when you heard here, and you talked about the stigma a, a few minutes ago, but when you heard over the off season that Joe Burrow shouldn't want to go to Cincinnati and it's, he's going to be set up to fail. You just talked about the success you had with the Bengals who I know Boomer has talked about it as well. What was your reaction? But when you saw that, and like you said, the stigma that's kind of around the organization. Well, I, I, a little bit unfair, you know, when, when you talked, uh, you know, when you go back and what nine years ago when they drafted Andy Dalton and here, here the Bengals are drafting this kid in the, from TCU in the second round, the red rifle. You know, and who the heck is this guy? And he comes in and takes him to the playoffs the first five years he's in the league. You would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. And and I think, you know, it was difficult after that one. I think some of the personnel around Andy uh, was not as good as it was his first five years. And, of course, the quarterback always is going to take, you know, that heat when things don't go well. But I was, you know, uh, Andy Dalton is a, a good player. He's a good guy. And, and I think the, the one thing that, He's still a popular guy in, in Cincinnati. When when he and his wife came in and, and made Cincinnati their home, got involved in the community and the wonderful work that they did in the Cincinnati area with his foundation, uh, you know, w- with kids, um, he is still revered in Cincinnati because of that. And and I, I think you know when when Joe Burrows comes in, I, I think he's going to have the same effect that he's a he's an Ohio kid. He's coming to Cincinnati and. As I told him, I said, you know, things are a little tough right now. You win a few games, the fans will be back. 
I think that they're ready to go back. I myself, I haven't bought a new Bengals jersey in over a decade, I want to say. And I went out and I called Cook Sports and I got a Joe Burrow jersey in the style of that jersey that you're wearing in that picture behind you in, in that throwback <laughs> style. I'm very excited for that. You talked a little bit earlier about some pride in having beaten the Steelers when they were the Steel Curtain as much as you did. On the other hand, you coached the Steelers for three years, and your last year coaching the Steelers was the year the Bengals swept the AFC North on their way to the playoffs. What was it like being on the other side of that rivalry? Well, you know, it was uh, it was it was interesting. I caught a lot of heat in Cincinnati for going to coach the Steelers, but I said, you know, I got fired from one job, and I, I needed a, a few more years to get my coach's retirement, and, and Mike Tomlin hired me. And, and I've got all the respect in the world for Mike Tomlin. He is a, a tremendous coach and a tremendous person. But when I got to Pittsburgh, the similarities in the organizations were uh, unbelievably close. And, you know, it's family operations. It was smaller markets. And, you know, the Rooney family, you know, treated me great. And, you know, certainly, uh, you know, to have a chance uh, in the 2008 season to go to a Super Bowl and, and win that down in Tampa against the Cardinals and, and to get a coach, uh, you know, one of, you know, I, I think a Hall of Fame quarterback and, and Ben Roethlisberger, and just to have a, a chance to, to be with him and, and to see his talents and to be, you know, it was just a marvel every Sunday, the things that, that he could do out in the football field, what was, what was fun for me and, uh, the city of Pittsburgh was very similar to the city of Cincinnati. They're, they're both on the Ohio River, you know, kind of river towns and industrial towns and, you know, tremendous football cities. And so, uh, you know, my wife, Chris, and I just, you know, in, enjoyed our three years that we had uh, in Pittsburgh before I retired and, and still have some tremendous friends, friends there today and, you know, including uh, Coach Tomlin. Does it feel like the fan base has forgiven you? For, for going to the to the Steelers that long ago? Yeah, well, once I retired and I got to come back for our 50th anniversary celebration, you know, I think, you know, all was forgiven. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, part of it is, you know, I'm always a, a Cincinnati guy. And, you know, when you go back to your, your playing days, it, it was as a Bengal. And coaching's a, a little bit different. But, you know, to go back and and I think people appreciate uh, the work that we're doing still in the Cincinnati community to make the lives of adults with developmental disabilities a little bit better. Um, so no, we, we enjoy going back. And like I said, I can't stay away from the grandkids too much anyway. Of course, you also coached in Cincinnati from 93 to 2002. So it's not like you're a stranger to the good people of the queen city. Ken, we really appreciate your time today. It's been a real treat to get to talk to you as always your humility in the face of the hall of fame questions is just I mean, I'm, I'm experiencing it firsthand. I've read you, I've read your quote saying what you just told us so many times, and it's just, it's very impressive. Well, thank you. You know, and you saw the old throwback jersey. Um, I love it. You know, back there, you know, if you go to uh, our, our foundation website, we're going to have a little store on there coming up. It's KenAndersonAlliance.org, and you can actually buy an autographed jersey, uh, one of those throwbacks uh, from our website. So we're gonna, you could buy a, an old-style helmet that I'm signed. So we're going to have some neat little stuff that will be on our, our store there. So if anybody wants to find out what we're doing, uh, it's KenAndersonAlliance.org. Ken, hey. it's not that helmet that you posted uh, representing the year 2020 the other day on Twitter, is it? 
Uh, no, it's not that one. <laughs> the no, one that it, you were it, wearing? And... <laughs> no, no, no. It, this is the old one, and it's got the double bar face mask. It's got the Bengals on the side. It's got uh, – there's no padding on the inside. It's the mesh on the inside. So it's oh, wow. truly a throwback helmet. So uh, we've got those autographed footballs. So we're going to have a neat little uh, store that people want to get to. Any Ken Anderson memorabilia, we can take care of you. Very exciting stuff. Go check that out. KenAndersonAlliance.org. Ken we really appreciate the time this evening. Well, now that you know how to get a hold of me, I hope we can do this again sometime. Literally any time you want to come talk to me and James about football. You know what I would love to do? And you can tell me if this is a terrible idea. I would love more than almost anything else in the world to watch game tape with you because they make the All-22 available to, to the public now. Even if it's just that we can talk about whatever else is going on, but maybe just like a quarter every now and then of quarterback play. That'd be so much fun for me. I think that would be a lot of fun. Let's just arrange this, okay? Yeah, absolutely. That's Ken Anderson making my dreams come true, James, on this first appearance on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. And he's offering to do it again. You better bet we'll take him up on that. Until then, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Lockdown podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.